Milk Business Conference is beginning to wind down. We'll talk with the organizer to see what trends she has noticed and what she's learned this week. And the treasury markets flip the switch from one more to no more when it comes to an increase in the Fed funds rate. We'll discuss if the market has got that right. Live from Las Vegas via Farm Journal broadcast, this is AgriTalk. This morning, we'll begin with a conversation with our own Karen Bonert from Farm Journal's Milk. Then it's Bob Elliott from Unlimited Funds. I'm a handsome newsman, Davis Michelson. And now, welcome the host of AgriTalk, Jeff Flory. All right, Davis. Yeah, we're wrapping things up out here in Vegas. Um, and I should let you know that the temperature is rising very quickly here this morning. Okay. Uh, okay. Yeah. It, local time is 8.06. Uh, the first temperature that I saw when I woke up this morning on my phone mm-hmm. was 39. Okay. And and we're all the way up to 45 degrees here this morning. Mm. I don't mean to yeah. be that guy. I don't mean to be that yeah. guy. Go ahead. Be that guy. You know guy. what? No, you can have this. That, that, that sounds lovely. Chip, <laughs> I bet you're having a great time. 49 <laughs> degrees and uh, sunny and optimistic in Kansas City this morning. Fantastic. Fantastic. It's electricity uh, there in the was air. The, uh-huh. the darty yesterday afternoon mm-hmm. was uh, very good. Good, um, good. The dairy party, of, of course. Yeah. That's right, the dairy party. Uh, we we had uh, spent some time out around the pool. Luckily, nobody went in the pool. Actually, <laughs> I don't know if I want to say luckily or not. That might have been kind of funny. But nobody went in the pool. Okay. Uh, and the conversations that we had, um, it, it, it was uh, really cool, really cool. So when we get Karen on here in just a little bit, mm-hmm. we're going to be talking about what trends she may have identified as accelerating new trends. I've noticed a few things that I want to talk to Karen about. Uh, And even with, this is such an optimistic group, Davis, it, it, uh, and going through the kind of economic or financial conditions that they're going through right now. Yeah. It, uh, it's a, it's a bit surprising to me to see the group, as optimistic as it is, but mm-hmm. I mean, they're making plans. They've got a, a they've got a long list of expectations for the year ahead and challenges that mm-hmm. they know that they're going to have to overcome. But they're planning for them, and yeah. they're they're figuring out how they're going to manage the challenges rather than the challenges managing their business. Mm-hmm. And really, so, that that can really help a help a person out on the front end of potential trouble. You get your plan in place, you're all set, okay, everything's organized here, and yet you still got to remain a little bit flexible, don't you? Yes, absolutely, and and I can see that in the plans that they are making. Um, you know what? One of the biggest issues that they had in 2023 was just the cost of doing business, mm-hmm. interest rates. Uh, the high feed costs, forage costs, everything was beating them down. And then all of a sudden, this cheese market went a little wacky on them, which mm-hmm. had a big impact on the class three milk futures. So it's it's uh, it, it's something that, that we're going to break down with Karen when we get her on here in just a little bit. And then at the bottom of the hour, conversation with Bob Elliott, Unlimited Funds. Everybody seems to be talking about, uh, you know, they're even trying to pinpoint when we're going to get the first cut in interest rates. The Dow is responding to the conversation big time. It's more than 300 points higher here this morning. Mm-hmm. I, it's just, uh, it, it it's kind of a, a, a wild situation. We'll get perspective from Bob Elliott on exactly what is going on. All right, cool. let's get to the news. Well, let's start with the National Weather Service Outlook, which is predicting a storm system to bring a threat of severe thunderstorms and heavy rain from the southern plains to the lower Mississippi Valley on Thursday today, spreading further into the southeast Friday. Areas of light to moderate precipitation expected from the central plains to the interior northeast, with a wintry mix possible for some locations. 
atmospheric river activity arriving across the Pacific Northwest by the end of the week will bring heavy rain to the coastal ranges and heavy snowfall in the Cascades. Locally heavy snowfall possible for higher mountain elevations in the Four Corners region. And Chip, we've got a uh, daily sale. Private exporters reported mm-hmm. sales of 134,000 metric tons of soybeans for delivery to China during the 23-24 marketing year. There you go, buddy. Yeah, it just makes me wonder if maybe we've got prices cheap enough again to mm-hmm. be competitive or if China is growing more and more concerned about the available supply coming out of Brazil in the year ahead. Well, Chip, Federal Reserve officials are conveying a sense of minimal urgency when it comes to raising interest rates. These comments have led traders to anticipate the possibility of the first rate cut by the U.S. Central Bank occurring as early as May next year. Cleveland Fed President Loretta Mester, known for her more hawkish stance, mentioned that the current policy is well prepared to allow the central bank to remain flexible and respond to evolving economic conditions. Chip, is that is that Fed speak for we don't know what's going on? Uh, data driven, which means okay. that it's like Bubba said yesterday, and I'm sure yeah. you're going to talk about it this afternoon when you got Bubba on, that all the Fed does is look backwards. Uh-huh. Uh, uh-huh. It's not like they try to anticipate how things are going to change going forward. All they do is mm-hmm. they're they just looking backwards and their decisions are, quote unquote, data driven. Well, the likelihood of a partial government shutdown in January has diminished, Chip, as House GOP yeah. rebels have eased their demands for significant spending cuts to domestic programs, and I imagine we'll uh, chat about this a bit tomorrow morning on the Friday free-for-all, Chip. Well, and I think we'll talk a bit about it with Karen Boner coming up here in just a little bit, too, because the level of frustration with this group, with the dysfunctional Congress that we've got, Mm -hmm. is off the charts, Davis. I have never seen a level of frustration like, like this. Well, Chip, in October, the U.S. Personal Consumption Expenditures Price Index showed no change, marking its weakest performance since July 2022. This figure followed consecutive monthly increases in both September and August, surprising the market, which had anticipated a slight rise in October. Additionally, the annual inflation rate declined to 3%. That's the lowest level since March 2021. The cost of shipping fuels like diesel across the Atlantic has reached its highest point in almost 16 months due to an El Nino-driven drought that has led to historically low water levels in the Panama Canal, Chip. And the option of cruising around the Horn of South America isn't really a very uh, bright prospect. And yet, no, what that's option not may appealing, they have? But, they're, but they are deciding to do it. And Some are. it adds like $4 million per day Oof. to the trip. It's wow. crazy. Yeah. Well, today marks the start of the delivery process for CBOT December contracts. So far, no deliveries for corn, soy meal, and soy oil, while 100, uh, excuse me, 1,347 contracts of soft red wheat and 100 contracts of hard red wheat were put up for delivery. And quickly here, Chip, Israel and Hamas today agreed to extend their ceasefire by another day, allowing for the release of more hostages held by the militant group in Gaza. Uh, the agreement came just moments before uh, the, uh, the ceasefire was set to expire. And interestingly here, Saudi Arabia has approached Iran with an offer to boost cooperation and invest in its sanction-stricken economy if the Islamic Republic stops regional proxies from turning the Israel-Hamas war into a wider conflict. Chip. All right. Thank you very much, Davis. Hey, stay tuned, everybody. We are going to wrap up our coverage from the 2023 Milk Business Conference. Karen Boner, editor of Farm Journal's Milk, and the coordinator of the event out here in Vegas is up next here on AgriTalk. The Port of Grace Harbor exports about 3 million tons annually. And the expectations are with the expansion that we'll be growing that by about a factor of two. So looking at potentially 6 million tons in the years to come. The United Soybean Board is behind rebuilding the infrastructure system across the United States because it helps us to be more reliable on air infrastructure, moving the soybeans from the farm down to the final customer. As we have increased economies of scale for export and improved infrastructure for bringing soy to elevators and soy meal from the elevator to the port, Investment towards that all means dollars back in farmers' pockets. 
Learn more at unitedsoybean.org. There's danger out there. It lurks on highways and quiet neighborhood streets. It's more likely to kill you than a shark and more terrifying than the biggest snake. Distracted driving claims lives every day. Every notification, swipe, social post, video, or selfie while driving risks your life. So while you might think public speaking or the zombie apocalypse is scary, what's really terrifying and even deadly is distracted driving. Eyes forward. Don't drive distracted. Brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. Uh-oh, Brad's buzzed. Oh, yeah? Yeah, he's starting with the woots. <laughs> and now a speech. I just want to say that friendship is about heart. Heart and brain. Who's with me? Good thing is, he knows when he's buzzed. And my brain is saying, when it's time to go home, somebody call me a ride. Love that guy. Me too. Know your buzzed warning signs? Call for a ride when it's time to go home. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message from NHTSA and the Ad Council. This is Andrew McRae, host of the American Countryside. I'm also a farmer and rancher from Northwest Missouri, and I hope you'll join me each week for Farming the Countryside as we take a look at the top issues impacting agriculture as told by the people farming and working in their industry. We'll talk about markets and trade, share some of the latest tips and trends from grain and livestock producers, and take a look at trends impacting rural America. Join me for Farming the Countryside on many local radio stations or on your favorite podcast platform, or just go to farmingthecountryside.com. I taught for 20 years, until I started forgetting my lectures. Eventually, he had to quit. Getting his early Alzheimer's diagnosis was hard, but it gave us time to take control of the situation, together. I can't imagine going through this without him. If you or your family are noticing changes, it could be Alzheimer's. Talk about seeing a doctor together. For more information, visit alz.org slash time to talk. A message from the Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council. Truth is hard to come by these days, unless you listen to AgriTalk. Welcome back to AgriTalk. And we are wrapping up our coverage from Milk Business Conference 2023 out in Las Vegas. Of course, it is presented by Farm Journal's Milk and the editor of Farm Journal's Milk, Karen Boner. She joins us right now. Karen, are you okay? Everything seems to have been going well. Oh, it's been fantastic. Fantastic. A little extra coffee this morning just because there's so much going on and so much networking that the nights are short. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Uh, So number one, you've got a great group of producers out here. It, it, uh, it, it, this conference always amazes me, the willingness of the attendees to get on stage and to share their experiences, the willingness of the attendees to stand and talk with another producer and share their experiences and what they've learned, uh, whether it be through technology or or marketing or policy or Mm -hmm. whatever it might be, Karen, this is a fantastic group. It is a fantastic group. I'd say, Chip, you know, dairy farmers, they love to hear from one another, you know, um, they, they can relate to one another, right? They're, the, the struggles that they're going through is, as well as what opportunities uh, they're looking for in the horizon. So <clears throat> to have producers on stage that can share their personal experience of what they're going through, whether we're talking about beef on dairy or talking about labor challenges that we had yesterday morning or anything else, um, it's like we all, as producers, the producer myself, it's like, yeah, we've been there. So what are you doing that's working? So it's we are so excited about the quality of producers that we have that come as attendees but also that go on stage because yeah. man we all walk away with a couple things that we're going to go ahead and try out back on our farm right 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 uh you had some awards i think this was for the first time correct yes absolutely and that was just i i think i'm going to leave here with my my heart and my smile stretched wide because it was so well received. It was so, yeah. it's so moving. We, everybody likes to be acknowledged, right? And we had three amazing award winners. We had the Leader in Technology Award that went to Chris Seidel from Pagels, Ponderosa, in Wisconsin. The Young Producer Award went to 
to Ben Smith of Cool Lawn Farm in Virginia, and our Employee Excellence Award went to Lorino Vigiorino of County Line in, uh, Farms in California. And they all had such an extraordinary story of really how they're driving their dairies from good, they were to great. And, um, and you know, it, it's all about culture. And um, you just, you could feel the level of respect that they had for the people that they worked side by side on with their farm or within the industry and how much love and passion they have for the role that they play in feeding our country. Yeah. Yeah. It was interesting at the end of the conversation that you had with the three award winners yesterday, they, they all talked about how important, how important it is to show up. Number one, to show up number two, Mm -hmm. to show up with a good attitude and number three, spread that good attitude throughout the work, the, the workers on the dairy so that they know mm-hmm. that they're appreciated, so that they so that they go out and do the best thing that they the best job that they possibly can for the well-being of the of the cows. I thought it was a pretty fascinating conversation. It really was. And, you know, I thought that the, the, the amazing thing was like you know, we all wake up occasionally on the wrong side of the bed. excuse me and and so you know but check that attitude you know at the farm Mm -hmm. before you get to the farm and um yeah these guys i mean at the end of the day you're like what's one key word i don't know from from this conference but gosh we talked a lot about culture didn't we whether it was that with that panel or with the labor panel it's about establishing culture and you can establish positive culture by leading by example and those three gentlemen you know they led by example they they started their morning with good morning how are you they would even Chip, as they were talking, say, hey, how was that? How was your kid's soccer game last night? Right. And then you start establishing a relationship and a connection, if you will. And then that employee is like, hey, you know what? We got a problem in the dry, in the dry cow barn. Can you come? You know, they're willing to like talk more about what's going on at the dairy if you kind of connect with them first. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Let's stay on the labor issues here for a bit. You know, labor issues are still sure. a concern. But mm-hmm. it, but not for everybody. In the past, I felt like it was a universal problem. But there are some good news yep. stories on the labor front right now, aren't there? There is, and I and I think that when it comes to labor, you know, COVID, we all felt the labor pains, and now what's more on like what can we do? We've got a pretty good workforce. What can we do to retain them? Because we don't want to lose them. Because we know what the replacements right. out there look like, right? And so I think the conversation, for the most part, has shifted by retention versus hey we need we just need we need a warm body we need to attract people and so yeah i mean you know for those who really do struggle with labor um mm-hmm. you know technology is really that 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 where they're going whether mm-hmm. they have converted to robots or some type of automation to help with you know a vacant vacant position and just to ease things on the dairy but labor i think is always going to be a conversation that producers talk about um you know, it's just, you know, how can you retain those good employees and how can you promote within, um, you know, as we have more technology comes into the farm, you know, you, you want, you want somebody that, that buys into your <clears throat> dairy's mission and mm-hmm. ones who already know the protocols. And if you can promote that milker <clears throat> to an outside work guy or whatever it might be, that's always a good thing. But I do think that labor has gotten better on dairies. Um, it's mm-hmm. expensive, I can tell you that. If you think about what it costs right. to pay labor today versus a year ago versus three or five years ago, and that's going to continue. You know, we're going to have to pay for good help. And I think most dairy producers have come to terms with that. Um, but I, th- I think we're always going to have, I think not labor challenges, but we're always going to have to make labor a priority. You know, they talked about farmers do such a good job, Chip, of talking, um, taking care of their cows and making mm-hmm. cows a priority. But most people have shifted between just being a, a herd manager, a cow manager, to being a people manager. Yes. And so when it comes to labor, we're always going to have to think, how can we promote? How can we train? How can we, uh, you know, improve our labor that we have? Right. Right. Yes, I, I agree. And you can you can the, the conversation around labor issues is definitely changing at, at Milk Business Conference over the years. So interesting. Uh, you mentioned technology a couple of times. You start talking about technology on a dairy and people get, their eyes get wide. They, mm-hmm. It's an invigorating topic. It's one that they know can help increase the efficiencies on their operation. 
You know, the, the, the incredible thing I thought yesterday on the panel, Chris Seidel and I were chatting, and because they've done so much technology investment over the last, I don't know, five years especially. It's like, what's that return on investment? What are you looking at? And my headset or my mindset, Chip, I was like, okay, three to five years. He's like, no, I want it to pay for itself in 48 months. And so we're expecting whatever type of investments we're making to make quick, quick efficiencies. And the thing is, the technology is so amazing. It's, it's wild, right? On what kind, you know, as far as we want to interrupt the cows as little as possible. So it used to be, okay, it's herd health day, Chip, and we're going to go lock headlocks. And then we're going to go in there and all the cows, whether they needed to be sleeved for pregnancy check or not, they're all going to be uh, get up and moved around. And now mm-hmm. with technology, a lot of it's done on the parlor, on that carousel, on the wheel, if you will. And we're, we're disturbing cows less and less. Yeah. And so whether it's with reproduction, whether it's with, um, you know, so many feed management, so many things in between, it's like, how can we uh, make the cows comfortable, disturb them less? And again, on that technology efficiency or the return on investment, we want yeah. it to pay for itself quick. Right, right. Well, I've got one more panel that I am going to moderate, and it's one of my favorite topics, uh, beef genetics mm-hmm. in the dairy. And it, yeah. is, it, it is not a developing trend any longer. It is here. Uh, and the effort to do it right on these dairies with genomics is taking a lot of the uncertainty out of the process, isn't it? It is. It's very much of a strategy that you're yeah. going to develop through genomic testing. You're figuring out, okay, which which of my females do I want more of those females out of, right? More of those dairy females out of. Okay, I got, the, and how many, how many wet calves do I need today? And you're making those mating decisions off of genomics to determine that. And then with the, the surplus, the rest of them, if you will, it used to be that we would you know, use, you know, all, conven- all conventional semen. Then we went to sex mm-hmm. semen. It's like, we don't need all these dairy calves. And so, the, you know, a lot of these, especially these progressive herds here at Milk Business Conference are doing maybe 30% conventional and, yeah. or sex, uh, sex, excuse me, and the rest is mm-hmm. going to beef. And that beef on dairy value is here to stay. And that's real dollars to that bottom line. And yeah. so what I'm, I think as you talk with the panel, what the conversation, I see more and more dairies. And I think regardless of size, I'm even talking to dairies that milk 100 cows or 200 cows. And they're looking at any empty barns that they have on their farm that used to maybe store other things and how they can maybe give it a facelift, if you will, because they, they know if they can feed those black calves out a little bit longer, there's money yep. to be made. Yep. Yeah. Uh, we, we've already talked about that uh, a, a little bit. And boy, uh, you know, a six or 700 pound black calf going through the sale barn is a pretty valuable Ooh. animal right now. No question about yes. it. Karen, great job. Thank you so much. I'll see you uh, down at the uh, meeting here in just a little bit. Thanks, Chip. Thanks so much. All right. That's Karen Bonert, editor of Farm Journal's Milk. Bob Elliott, next. Hi, I'm Ag Day host Clinton Griffiths, and I invite you to join me each morning as we cover the nation's food system, from fields of green to orchards of orange and livestock everywhere in between. America runs on agriculture, and here at Ag Day, agriculture is what we do best. Listen as our analysts track the markets, learn about innovations in technology and sustainability, and live the country lifestyle through the eyes of rural America. Join me, Clinton Griffiths, for Ag Day, the country experience. Hello? Man, where are you? I thought you were coming. I can't. I'm in bed with the flu. (coughs) The flu? Whoa, whoa, whoa. Grandma's about to crowd, sir. Man, I'll call you back. Don't get stuck at home with the flu. A flu shot is safe, effective, and you can get it at the same time as your COVID-19 vaccine. A flu shot is the best way to prevent the flu and its potentially serious complications. Don't get flu FOMO. Learn more at GetMyFluShot.org. Brought to you by the AMA, CDC, and the Ad Council. Time for Markets Now with the experts from ProFarmer. Joining us is ProFarmer editor Brian Grady. Beej, the wheat market has got positive numbers again today, and I think that's helping to support the corn market, isn't it? Absolutely. Those two are working together, Chip, and, yep. and uh, some so uh, corrective gains here. Uh, you know, both markets have, have struggled to find buyers 
recently, but uh, we do have uh, pretty solid corrective gains, five to six cents in, in corn and a uh, little bit more than that in the winter wheat markets and uh, not quite as much in spring wheat. But, uh, uh, you know, this is coming in the face of, of a strong rebound in the U.S. dollar. It's up almost 600 points at the moment. Uh, crude oil futures are sharply lower at the moment. And, and uh, um so good, uh, good price response here in, in both corn and wheat. Uh, I would note that uh, weekly export sales were strong for both. Uh, over 1.9 million tons for corn for the week, a marketing year high there. And uh, soybean sales came in at uh, 622,000 uh, metric tons. Okay. Yeah, we had a daily export sales announcement to China. Davis had that info earlier in the news, but the soy complex just really doesn't want to respond to that, does it? Yeah, so soy oil is being pressured by that uh, weakness in the crude oil that I talked okay. about, and, and uh, the meal market's weak as well, and, and so soybeans are struggling to find buyer interest. Now, soybeans are, have performed much better than both the corn and wheat yeah. markets here recently, so there's some spreading activity going on yep. undoubtedly. Sellers are back in the cattle complex. Oh, boy, in a big way, Chip. Uh, just heavy losses here at mid-morning in, in both live cattle and feeder cattle, and, and we've seen extreme volatility here recently, and, and while it looked like maybe a a low had been posted earlier in the week, uh, not quite as certain on that front here at uh, mid-morning. And, and uh, the hog market, though, is trading yeah. solidly to the upside. Excellent. Thank you, Brian. That's Pro Farmer Editor Brian Grady on Markets Now. Has your child swallowed your medicine, your laundry detergent, your nail polish remover? Call the Poison Helpline. Have you inhaled paint thinner, glue, pesticides? Call the Poison Helpline. Have a question about a dose, a fume, something your kid just drank? Call the Poison Helpline. Poisonings can happen at the home, on the job, or in the great outdoors. Call the Poison Helpline first for fast, free advice from medical professionals. Call 1-800-222-1222 anytime, anywhere. 1-800-222-1222. Save the number, save a life. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. Hi, I'm Smokey Bear, and I made an assistant to help you out. Because only you can prevent wildfires. Hey, Assistant Smokey Bear, call me Papa Bear, because I'm grilling up dinner. <laughs> Do you get it? Yes, good job. So, what should I do with all these coals? Don't just toss them out. Put them in a metal container, because those embers can start a wildfire. I understand. The stakes are high. Ha, 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 ha. Learn more at SmokeyBear.com. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service, your state forester, and the Ad Council. Opinions expressed on Agritalk do not necessarily reflect the views of Farm Journal Broadcasting, affiliate stations, or sponsors. Do you suffer from talking on the radio phobia? No problem. Send us a tweet at hashtag Agritalk. Welcome back to Agritalk. I'm Jeff. Uh, the the level of conversation about what is happening in the economy and the way that the treasury markets are responding, the way that the equity markets are responding. Uh, I tell you what, earlier this week, I said, we got to get Bob Elliott from uh, the Unlimited Fund back on here and talk about what is going on. And we've got him. He's here right now. How are you doing, Bob? Oh. Did we well, lose Bob? He's, he's here. Hey there. He's Sorry about that. I was muted. <laughs> How you doing, Chip? We're doing real good, Bob. Real good. I trust you had a good Thanksgiving. Oh, sure did. What about yourself? Fantastic. A lot of time with family and uh, enjoyed the heck out of it. No question. So, okay. you're. I just, I'm going to jump straight to your latest blog here, Bob. Um and we're going to jump straight to it when I think we can spend quite a bit of time on it because your latest blog is titled, Is the U.S. Economy in a Recession? What is the thought process that you are going through as you answer that question? Yeah, well, I think when you're thinking about whether the economy is in a recession, you want to think about um, what's happening to growth in the economy relative to what's often called potential. And what potential really means is just how much growth do we need in the economy to keep a relatively healthy labor market, to keep people who want jobs employed. Um, and even though you know growth today feels, I think to most people, like a bit softer than it has during 
periods that that were bigger economic expansions. Mm -hmm. uh, the reality is the U.S. economy, the underlying potential of the U.S. economy is actually growing pretty slowly because uh, labor uh, labor growth in the economy is pretty pretty modest these days, uh, okay. you know, under a million people. And so when we look at the economy, what we're really looking at is what does that growth rate look like relative to that potential? And as long as we stay above it, labor markets will stay tight and uh, and conditions in general will will be pretty positive. And that's basically what we're seeing right now is a slow but strong enough economy, given uh, where we are in our secular dynamics. Okay. You've got the models that you run that track whether or not we are in or might we be headed toward a recession. I love the work that you do there. What's the latest read on, on that model? Well, I think what it basically shows is that the overall economy is moderating to some extent. And look, we've had a 550 basis points of interest rate tightening and, uh, and a rise in interest rates in the long end relative to where they were a year or two ago. And so that's to be expected. I think the main thing that it shows is that the baseline strength of the economy is, you know, enough here to keep labor markets reasonably tight. And then I think when you're thinking about what's likely to transpire in the future, you have to look at what sort of supports are coming into the economy. And there, I think there's a couple things that are actually quite beneficial that we've seen over the last okay. few weeks. That's where you see that fall in gas prices and oil prices. That's yeah. putting money in the pockets of uh, of spenders. And you're also seeing that fall in interest rates, which is also supporting more economic activity. So going into this period, we're sort of okay in terms of growth. And we've gotten a little bit of support over the last couple of months here. Yeah. So the interest rate of gain is down to 3%. Is that enough for the Fed to, does it take another interest rate hike out of the equation? Yeah, well, the Fed has um, has tightened a lot and uh, supply side constraints and issues have, have improved significantly. And you put those two things together and you are getting uh, a pretty good moderation in the pace of inflation. Now, price levels are quite up quite a bit, and that's what probably the, you know, the everyday consumer is still feeling the price levels that are still up. And so, mm -hmm. what that means is that the Fed is still going to be cautious, even if you know inflation is moderating a bit. They're going to be cautious before they start to shift towards a meaningful easing cycle here. And so okay. I think that's the basic. The question is less today about will the Fed hike more? They probably won't. The question is more about how long will they keep interest rates at this level? And odds are they'll do it until the point where they start to see a meaningful weakening of economic conditions. And as I just mentioned, conditions are okay and likely to be a bit better uh, in the next you know, three to six months as a result of that stimulation that we've seen. Okay, so Bob, how has the markets responded to all of this? We see the gains in the equities today. We've got the 10-year yield is down to 4.326%. Is the market responding rationally to the information that it has been given over the last month? Well, there's been a heck of a easing of financial conditions, and I think uh, the market may not be fully appreciating that in many ways that easing of economic conditions and the expected interest rate cuts that are being priced into the market that are associated yeah. with it are the sorts of things that actually uh, undo themselves because by creating that easing of uh, conditions, falling interest rates and rising stock prices, that's going to keep the economy going for longer than it would have otherwise, which will then lead the Fed to likely be, you know, to hold interest rates at these levels for longer than they would have otherwise. And so I think we're starting to see a gap here where uh, certain financial market participants are expecting a swift shift to easing uh, happening starting in the first quarter of next year. But the macroeconomic uh, dynamics aren't really aligned with that. Uh, and probably the Fed will need to sort of back the markets off over the course of the next couple of months, given the pricing that's there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and the thing is, what you're talking about there now, and we've talked about this before, is the cumulative effect of inflation and the impact that it has on affordability. And 
you're you're right on the gas prices. Absolutely, one hundred percent right. And I think that's uh, here around the holidays is having a a positive impact on the psyche of, of a lot of people until they go to the grocery store and try uh, and buy something. That's so true. <laughs> exactly. Uh, it it uh, I I don't know how the how the data is lining up with the affordability and the average person's perception of what is happening in the economy. It, it It's not really lining up, is it? Right. I think that's because the everyday person on Main Street, let's say, is really more sensitive to price levels than they are to incremental changes. You know, the people yeah. in the financial centers of New York are squinting at every price change and thinking inflation's over. And, you know, it seems like they haven't talked to somebody on Main Street who's, you know, trying to make a family dinner, as you say, right. um, or buy a car or, you know, going to yeah. to and from work. And so I think actually that's a very important part of the Fed's consideration, because when you actually look at household and consumer inflation expectations, those are still quite elevated relative yeah. to the Fed's mandate. And so that's the sort of thing that's going to keep the Fed a little more cautious than I think. Um, what many financial market participants are expecting. Yeah. So with that in mind, and if if you don't want to go down this path, don't go down it. Just tell me you'd rather not. Is the White House doing the right thing with its Bidenomics talk? I, I think the main uh the main issue with uh you know it's it's not just the White House, because of course legislation is uh is is drawn from both the White House and Congress yeah. is that you put those uh, you have a policy mix today of expansionary uh, fiscal policy that frankly doesn't really align well with what you typically expect given the strength of the economy. It's like we're start we're we're spending for stimulus today when you know in the scheme of things jobs are are you know most people are employed jobs are pretty good wage growth is pretty good and so it really raises the question about whether we're going to have enough ability to spend and support the economy when we inevitably get a downturn uh right now they're they're sort of spending to create inflationary pressures at the most inopportune time and mortgaging the future for when we might actually need the support that they need later and later when things get bad right right okay so uh, we've got a federal open market committee meeting coming up. When is it? Uh, is there one in December? Do we? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So what do we get? Oh, I just saw it go by December 12th through the 13th. Right. What do you expect? Well, the Fed, the Fed's probably not going to do anything with interest rates, and they've made that okay. pretty clear. No one's really expecting them to do anything. The main thing that's going to be a, a key area of focus is how does the Fed respond to this relatively substantial easing of financial conditions? In the last Fed meeting, they had raised some concerns that interest rates on the long end in particular had been rising uh, and that that would have a tightening effect on the economy. Well, all that has reversed in the last you know four weeks and then some plus the benefit from falling oil prices into consumers' pockets, how are they going to look at that and how are they going to communicate to the market what how that's going to influence their thinking? My guess is that they're going to make it clear that they're probably not going to swiftly tighten or swiftly ease in the way that the financial markets expect, but okay. that'll be an important uh, thing to keep an eye on in the press conference that comes after the announcement. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So- Maybe the market's got it right, or at least is is leaning in the right direction. Maybe just leaning a little too hard at this time. That's right. I mean, I okay. I think we we've we we should appreciate the benefits that we have had a pretty big moderation in inflation without a real weakening of economic conditions. But what that doesn't mean is the Fed is going to ease significantly right. to juice asset prices in response. They'll probably be a little more patient than that. Gotcha. Gotcha. Great perspective, Bob. Thank you so much for making time for us. Thanks so much for having me. You bet. Love it. Love the conversations with you, man. Bob Elliott, Unlimited Fun. All right. Davis and I will be right back to wrap up this morning's Agri Talk in a moment. I'm Tyne Morgan, host of U.S. Farm Report. Join me each weekend as we explore the news and issues that matter the most to agriculture. 
We know this past year has been challenging in many ways, but as agriculture continues to adapt, we are right there with you. From markets to weather, each weekend we take a deep dive into what matters most. Join me each weekend for U.S. Farm Report, timely, trusted tradition. Being an Army Ranger is a very fast-paced lifestyle. I was clearing a weapons cache in Haditha, Iraq, when the building collapsed on me, burying me alive. I spent six months in the hospital and a year of recovery. When I was separated from the military, I just felt like I was useless because I only had this one thing that I was supposed to do, and then that one thing was taken away from me. And then one day, I got a call from Wounded Warrior Project. They asked me to come to a workout, and I decided that I was gonna get better, both physically and mentally. Now I'm a warrior leader. I create events and opportunities for other veterans locally. Wounded Warrior Project did a phenomenal job reminding me that my injuries aren't going to define who I am. And because of that, I can do anything that I want. See how we help warriors combat stigma at woundedwarriorproject.org slash combat stigma. The Scoop Podcast is where we talk about tight supply chains, emerging agronomic challenges, technology tools delivering ROI. I'm Margie Echelkamp, editor of The Scoop and host of The Scoop Podcast. Join me as I interview leaders from across the ag retail sector. Farmers are working hard for every bushel and their trusted advisors are by their side. Find The Scoop Podcast wherever you find podcasts so you are up to date on everything ag retail. Joining us now is Ron Calhoun, Senior Manager for Plant Nutrition at Loveland Products. Ron, talk about the challenges that cool, dry weather can bring when trying to add nutrition to soil during the fall. So, yeah, as we put out things like dry fertilizer, a lot of times after we're doing our soil sampling, we're going to go out and put out our MAP, DAP, potash, MEZ, those sorts of things as we get ready for next year. And those dry materials need to be mineralized by the microbial communities in the soil in order for those to be available to our plants. And so as your cool conditions in the fall and your cool conditions in the spring don't really propel that process forward. And so that can limit the efficiency of those products. So the mineralization process needs assistance to overcome the depressed microbial activity. Where does that assistance come from? Is it biochemistry? You're exactly right. So we have a dry fertilizer enhancement product called Titan. And that Titan is using that biochemistry from the soil microbial community to then leverage that biochemistry to make the nutrition more available. So we'll take that biochemistry, we'll actually sparge it onto the dry fertilizer ahead of time so that when you're putting it out, the biochemistry that we would hope to be provided by the soil microorganisms is on those fertilizer prills so that we can start that mineralization process and have it ready to go when the crop season hits next year. How effective is Titan XC in boosting fertilizer efficiency? Well, we have, you know, probably 300 trials over the last uh, 12 or 15 years. We're looking at you know, closing in on 100 million acres. And I would say in general, we're looking at probably like a 15 to 20% improvement in nutrient use efficiency. Excellent. Ron, where can people go to learn more? Go to cropfertility.com and you can read a whole page there around Titan. Thank you, Ron. That is Ron Calhoun, Senior Manager, Plant Nutrition for Loveland Products. This is Andrew McCray, host of the American Countryside. I'm also a farmer and rancher from Northwest Missouri, and I hope you'll join me each week for Farming the Countryside as we take a look at the top issues impacting agriculture as told by the people farming and working in their industry. We'll talk about markets and trade, share some of the latest tips and trends from grain and livestock producers, and take a look at trends impacting rural America. Join me for Farming the Countryside on many local radio stations or on your favorite podcast platform, or just go to farmingthecountryside.com. Ready for our little forest adventure? Yes! We're here! Whoa! That was fast! There's a forest closer than you think. Find a park or forest near you and music inspired by nature. Discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by USDA Forest Service and the Ad Council. Knowledge is power. We're here to charge your batteries. Agritalk 
And welcome back to it, everybody. Thursday morning. Your pal Davis Michelson here. So glad you opted to join us today. Chip Flory joins all the way from sunny, can I say sunny Las Vegas? Uh, yes. Yeah. Sunny Las Vegas, Nevada. Sunny but chilly. Mm. Yeah, sunny but chilly. That's the way she yeah. goes. Uh, dude, there was a, I don't know if this gets us anywhere or not, but there was a news story, you know, you, that I was going to pull into the to the news copy this morning and just didn't get in. There's yeah. already so much to talk about. But uh, this here, this move, uh, wait, hold on. I started at the wrong line here. Up, up, up. <laughs> EPA initially proposed allowing year-round E15 sales uh, in a couple of states following their petition on uh, year-round E15 sales, although there were reports suggesting a delay in finalizing the rule, court filings now established. Here we go. Here's what I'm getting to. March 28, 2024, as the target date for EPA to issue the final rule on year-round sales of <laughs> E15. Okay? Jolene Rison, farmer from Ida Grove, Iowa, and the Iowa Corn Growers Association president says, quote, the EPA has failed us, and as Iowans, we want to keep them accountable for the things they are going to do. That's why this motion is so important. It gives us the opportunity to voice concern and to move the needle when it comes to having access to E15 year-round without limitations. Chip, have we set a date we can hang our hat on, or have we kicked the can down the road? Oh, oh no. No, there. EPA has never seen a deadline that they <laughs> didn't decide. We're just going to ignore that. We'll do. We've got our own timeline, and that's what we're mm-hmm. going to work on. And the timeline of a March decision. How does that play into the whole campaign issue? Interesting. Hmm. I wonder. Hmm. Not very well. I'll almost guarantee that we're going to go another summer and get past the November elections before we see anything on this i thought I, you just, might no it, it is so infuriating just make it all the evidence is right there in front of them it should be all the evidence that they need to go ahead and issue that read vapor pressure waiver and move forward with and and move forward the efforts to reach the goals that they've set that the administration has set by burning the lowest carbon fuel that they've got available to them right now, they could go nationwide with E15 and advance their goals. Mm-hmm. Instead, they're looking at election issues and saying, eh, you know what? That's more important than actually doing anything about the climate. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's a shame yeah. um, because as this continues to get kicked down the road, I mean, there are real good people fighting hard, waving their arms and screaming at the top of their lungs about this. And, yeah. you know, we get these sort of little, I don't know if you'd call them, uh, I don't know, we get these every once in a while. They set a date, and it goes out the window. It's yeah, frustrating. I share your frustration, brother. <laughs> it's terribly frustrating. Um, um, I've noticed a shift on another uh, note here, and uh, our conversation just this morning uh, reminded me an awful lot of a conversation we had yesterday afternoon with Clayton Pope. Bob Elliott was talking about the economy, about the Fed speak, about all of this sorts of stuff. Both of these two characters, I'm talking about uh, Clayton Pope now and also Bob Elliott, s- seem like maybe there's room for improvement in, in the general economy. Maybe we're improving slightly here. I'm feeling a well, brighter tone from both of those fellas. You know, when it, it's been a long time. It's been at least three months since on AgriTalk, we started saying, you know what? Let's not completely rule out the potential for a soft landing. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've, we've been, I don't know if we've been quick to criticize the Fed. I think, I think we have. we've been measured in our criticism okay. of the Fed, you and I. Yes. You and I. Some of our guests, not so measured. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, the the thing is, this economy, the way it's moving along right now, we're, we're seeing pickups in areas that we need to see. We are seeing a slowdown in the inflation rate. It mm-hmm. is still inflation. 
affordability stinks because of what has happened over the last three years. Stinks, stinks, stinks. And the thing is, the way that they fed that inflation beast Mm -hmm. with monetary incentive in the first two years of the administration, you know, it it, it was... It was, uh, I'm not going to say that it was completely uncalled for Davis, mm-hmm. but it was over exuberant in the way that the incentives were fed. And we're paying the price for it now. Sure. Uh, sure. Th- those used cars that Bob talked about, my gosh. Mm-hmm. Uh, grocery bills. It, there are other things out there. Now, gas prices moving around. Uh, and don't forget, Jordan Fife, like a month ago, was was on the show and he's like hey come on you guys we're looking at record domestic oil production mm-hmm. record domestic oil production give it a little time it'll get to the pump well here, here we, we are. are absolutely you betcha so i don't well, know exactly what it all means dude yeah and you know what i was going to ask you about this three percent i mean i thought it was supposed to be two percent and then right. then we would call it good i'm i'm gonna right. run that by bubba because I would love to get some some last. This is the last we'll talk to you from uh, from Vegas yeah. here. Give us your thoughts, man. Paint a picture. Well, um, the one thing that I will say about the attendees, and I talked about it with Karen. Number, it, it's a great group. It's a group that is willing to share thoughts, yeah. of perspectives, and information. Um, it's an optimistic group, even in the face of some of the trials and challenges that they've had in the last year. They're looking at the year ahead. They anticipate that they're gonna have a cheaper cost of production, and they anticipate that the cheese market is going to get straightened out somehow, some way, and that farm policy will get done in time, even though the frustration with the dysfunction of Congress is unbelievably high with this group, they still have faith that it is going to get done. So, good stuff. I'm going to Excellent. be making my way back to the bunker this afternoon. Davis is going to have a conversation with Todd Bubba Horwitz tomorrow morning. It's a free-for-all. Wiesmeyer, Haney, Michelson, and me here on AgriTalk. If you're living with diabetes and using insulin, you know the pain of pricking your fingers over and over again. By wearing a small remote device called a continuous glucose monitor or CGM, you can reduce the pain of pricking your fingers right away. If you're testing your blood sugar four or more times per day, injecting insulin three or more times per day, or using an insulin pump, call the Diabetic Health Hotline today and learn about the latest CGM technology. A CGM can immediately reduce pain. It's accurate, easy to use, and helps you make better diabetes treatment decisions. And if you have Medicare, you can get a new CGM at little or no out-of-pocket cost. Plus, get free shipping and we'll bill your insurance company for you. Call now to receive your new continuous glucose monitor at little or no out-of-pocket cost. Paid for by U.S. Medical Supply. Call 800-556-9015. That's 800-556-9015. Again, 800-556-9015. That's 800-556-9015.